For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. The Super Bowl is right around the corner. If you are looking for a place to bet on any of the sports going on, BetOnline.ag is the best and only place to lock it in. Me personally, I would be throwing all of my money on the Kansas City Chiefs right now. I just think they're the best team. Wouldn't bet against Pat Mahomes, probably the most talented quarterback I've ever seen, but that's just me. They have everything from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props. BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head on over to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, welcome into this week's Believe in Wizards podcast. Before we get going, uh, if you like what you're hearing on the show, remember to rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, I'm told that leaving us an iTunes review is really helpful. I don't entirely understand why, but if you feel uh, feel like it, please please do that for us. Tell a friend or two. It's always appreciated. We finally have some basketball to talk about here, Larry, after an almost two-week layoff, although not the most encouraging restart last night. The, the Wizards lost to the Spurs 121-101. to 101. It was a reasonably competitive game for most of the time. And then, uh, to be honest with you, I'm not sure what happened. I don't know if that was the Spurs just started making shots. It was a conditioning thing for the Wizards. What did you see there that sort of led to them falling off, you know, late in that game? I think professional guys making timely shots. And, you know, on on the Wizards' side, uh, just being a little out of position. And that could be due to conditioning, um, which... It probably is due to conditioning, but for me, it's just like those NBA games are long. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about kind of the, the, the swinging of the pendulum, it's normally, you know, professional making, you know, either a tough shot or, you know, putting together a string of shots or plays uh, that gets them over the hump. It's normally a two to three minute game, uh, you know, back and forth. And, you know, the Wizards have been off, man. And it's, it's you know, for them to go and make it all the way to the finish line was going to be a stretch for those guys. And then playing against an organization like the Spurs who are going to be consistent in what they do and stick to their principles. The better team to go, you know, to go against when you're just coming back is one of those teams that are trying to figure out their identity as well. And, and that's not the case with the Spurs. So that's what it was going to make the, the Wizards, you know, look a little bit bad anyway. That's the thing with San Antonio. They're they're not like loaded with stars at this point, but one through ten, like everybody's like a solid, competent adult, and they know their role. And those are the kinds of things we've been advocating for from the Wizards. And uh, you know, maybe you cut them a little bit of a break. Uh, Scott Brooks and media availability last night uh, said he had no real complaints about the way he played. He was proud of the way they competed for most of that game. And 
you know, it was a lot of coach speak to kind of explain it away as, well, we haven't played, we haven't practiced. Uh, obviously, you never had a situation like this in your career where it's due to COVID, but maybe just it was an injury or a tweak or something where you weren't seriously hurt, but you couldn't really work out or practice at the same level. How tough is that to come back after a two-week layoff if you haven't really been able to like work out or, or, or practice or scrimmage? I think you have to find the, the, the silver lining in between, you know, not, you know, having the ability to get out on the court and do things physical or not do them as a group because of the protocols of not having, you know, this person with that person and just trying to make sure that they keep everybody as healthy as possible. You have to use your brain. You have to use your mind. Um, and I heard coach talk about, you know, those, the guys competed, they played hard, but they're still missing rotations. And for me, it's like, you don't want to, you know, just kill your team. Maybe he's saying something different, you know, in, in the locker room. So mm-hmm. you don't want to discourage your team. But at the same time, if we're going to compete and we're going to play hard, guys, you know the position that we're in. We have to play smart. We have to pay attention to the details. And I'm almost to the point where I think if if you're a little bit not necessarily not playing hard, you always want to play hard. Mm-hmm. But if you're not running a thousand miles an hour because you want to have the detail that you need to get to a certain spot, then there's a little bit of balance there of give and take because you can play hard and play aggressive, but you're just not playing smart. And we talk about missing rotations and things that are going to help you win. That's when the smart player comes in to know that we have physical limitations. So we have to use our brain. So we have to be a step ahead of, of, of the next play because we know we don't have all the physical tools at this point, just starting back up to, you know, really be in the right spot because of our physical abilities and we have to use our, our, our mental. And that's really what I took away from it is that it's just, I don't want to sugarcoat anything, but at the same time, you want to make sure that, you know, guys understand what's at stake. I mean, we, we talked about conditioning, stuff like that, but even beyond just not being able to play when you can't practice or when you do practice and you only have six or seven guys available, how much does that limit your ability to understand those rotations and, and really like kind of walk through who should be where on the floor? Well, it, it does limit the things that you do. I mean, your, your mental is going to match up with your physical. I mean, your, your body is telling your, your, I mean, your brain is telling your body, you know, where you need to be. So there is some, some balance there for sure. When you're playing, when you're running, uh, you have that rhythm of just muscle memory of knowing, you know, when to get to that spot as opposed to the thought process of thinking uh, when I need to be in that spot. So it, it plays a role in it. I mean, it, I think Brad said it. This is a, a really different year. I mean, in, in a situation where you're trying to understand the pieces that you have and how to move forward and you're getting hit with, you know, two-week layoffs. And for me as a basketball player, I was always better when I was comfortable. And that's when I was in a routine. You know, I, I knew what time we had to be at the gym. I knew when the games were. Like, these guys are completely uncomfortable. And it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough. It, it is their job. But me speaking, you know, from the other side of the table, uh, to have starting stops and things of that nature, it, it's very tough. It, it, it's very tough. Uh, since we last talked, they've added two new members of the team. Uh, Alex Len, they picked up after he was cut by Toronto and Jordan Bell was going to make the trip with them to the G league bubble, but got promoted, uh, I guess with, you know, to fill in a 10 day contract. My, my guess is that's probably just to get them through until they get some bodies back and Bell probably still ends up joining, um, 
The G League team, which just hit on that real quick, they are not fielding the Capital City Go-Go in the G League bubble. They'll be playing for the Erie Bayhawks, so they're sending four guys, uh, probably Bell, uh, Yoli Childs, Marlon Taylor, and Caleb Holmesley. So, you know, we'll see what they look like. You know, maybe there's somebody there that can help them down the road in the season. But uh, what did you see from Len last night? Well, I thought what Coach said is that you have that length. I mean, you you have that length that's – on the offensive end, you can use that, and on the defensive end, you can use that. And I think for for a guy, you know, losing a guy like Thomas, and then again, we said we have to bring in somebody that has length, uh, is mm-hmm. able to affect, you know, the rim on a rotation, and that's what they did. That's what they did. Another another team's, I want to say garbage, but someone that a, another team they don't want could be another team's treasure in a sense where they fit a piece that's needed for a team that's trying to figure out which direction they want to go. And I don't think you can go wrong with the guy, you know, with that size. Uh, he has, you know, skill on the offensive end. He has positioning on the defensive end, just understanding uh, what the scheme, you know, for, from day to day, uh, what the identity of the team that he's going into to really make sure that he could uh, be effective. I liked most of what he did last night. He had like, I want to say two really bad turnovers where he just kind of threw it to the wrong team basically. But I took that as more just learning the guys around him and who's going to be where and uh, that kind of being tough on, on no real practices. So overall, like you said, I think just having a, a competent big body that understands how to play NBA basketball, uh, you know, can't hurt you at this point, whether or not, you know, he jumps ahead of Wagner long-term in the rotation that kind of thing. I, I have no idea, but. Yeah. Cause I mean, we're not, we're not talking about a, a 20 and 10 guy, right? right? We're, we're talking about a guy that needs to be serviceable, Mm-hmm. Uh, for what Brad is doing, uh, for what the expectation for what Restbook is bringing to the table, he has to be a guy that can be serviceable, whether that's eight and 10, whether that's five and 10, um, you know, the emphasis on making sure that we can get the defensive rebound uh, and get in a transition that's going to get them some easy buckets. I didn't go back and, and sort of check the numbers from last night's game because we're, we're doing this on a one day turnaround here, but uh, for some of the on off stuff, but I, I thought they looked relatively fluid with Len and Beal on the court together. There's one thing I wanted to ask you about in particular. Twice in the first half, Beal had uh, a defender beat, was going to drive past him. I think he had Aldridge on him for one of them, and he looked like he had a clear lane to the basket. And then you see Robin Lopez coming over and bringing another guy to him. Like, you know, at the level of basketball I've played, a coach would kill you if you brought a defender over and kind of impeded the driver, I'm assuming that still applies at the NBA level. Right. So, so how do you explain a situation like that happening? Is that miscommunication? Is he trying to set a late pick? I don't, I just couldn't follow what was going on there. I I chalk it up to a little bit of miscommunication. Again, conditioning is a, is a huge piece of that of not just getting out of the way Mm -hmm. Uh, again. And he's a guy that's going to, he's going to gravitate towards the basket. So any play that's going towards the basket, that's his. That's really his job. That's really his job to hang around the offensive rim, uh, to follow his guys, you know, to the basket and try to get extra possessions. And it, again, it's about rhythm and timing, right? And rhythm and timing. If you can, if you can create that within your practice environment, then you know that those two that two second lag that you need to have to create that space. But without any practice, man, you, you're really just you're just doing it on the fly. Uh, yeah, I, I thought Len, when he was in, gave them a little spacing, and 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 that's nice. You know, Robin Lopez hasn't been that bad in the times he's he started in the last two games. Like, I, I've been hard on him. He, he's filled a role, you know, for for what they brought him in for. I think he's probably 
overachieved almost in the two starts, but the fit just doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me still, especially when Westbrook's on the floor. It's really hard to have another non-shooter where both guys want to post up. There were a couple times last night where, where Westbrook posted up, literally backed the guy down from the three-point line, and then like uh, one of them, his shit got beat off the backboard bad by, I forget who did it, maybe it was uh, a Pirtle. Um, it's like, if you're never going to pass out of that, how easy is that as a defense to know that you can just kind of swarm that guy? It, it just seemed very predictable, I guess. Yeah, and it's, it's rhythm, man. It's rhythm. I mean, they've been out for two weeks. Any anytime a, a guy's going to back somebody in from the, from that sort of distance, they're, they're telling you that I don't have the conditioning. <laughs> this is this is how we're going to play tonight. <laughs> this is how we're going to play tonight. We're going to be a little bit physical. And we're going to try to get um, you know things closer to the basket, especially with, with West. Man, he he's not getting off the floor. So <laughs> you know you, you have to. You know, if, if I'm watching that and I'm you know I'm, I'm his teammate and I know his limitations. I'm expecting him to make a play out of out of the post up and hopefully grab, you know, a half a body so you can slide to an open spot and then you can start to play basketball around. You know, he's not healthy. If you're his teammate, you know, he's not healthy. So uh, you should expect him to make that play out of the post up as opposed to, you know, trying to get a shot attempt. And it, it's tough, man. It's tough. A guy that caliber when he's down, you know, close to the basket, the whole world is expecting him to score, mm-hmm. but, the, the limitations are there and you have to respect those limitations and you got to play out of that, that, that post up. Earlier in the year when he was looking a, a little, like he was rounding into form a little bit, he was kicking him out the netto or Bertans a little bit more. You didn't see that much this game. Is that just maybe not trusting the personnel he was playing in there with? Cause he had a, some different guys. He hasn't played a ton with Bonga before. He hasn't played a ton with Robinson. Hadn't played at all with Cassius Winston before last night. For me, if I'm playing with somebody and I don't really know much about the guy or I don't have a ton of respect for his game, I'm less likely to kick it out when I'm five feet from the hoop, I would think. Yeah, I think that that's the pro game. You know, that that's that's the pro game. There's a there's a pecking order. And I, I think you can, you know, attribute that to if, if I haven't played with this guy or if he hasn't played much, my attempt is, is the best attempt, even mm-hmm. though that person is wide open. And players think like that. I mean, that, that's in the – in, in the psyche, but when you don't have that practice time, mm-hmm. right? When you don't have that practice time, even leading up to, you know, to a competition game, like you really don't know what to expect. Like you really don't know if, if you're going to post up, if that guy's going to slide in front of you so you can actually pass it. Like you don't know what to expect. So your thought process probably is to what I can do is better than what I think is going to happen. So if I know exactly what I want to do, then that kind of eliminates the turnover or the guy not thinking I'm going to pass it to him just kind of eliminates things if I take it upon myself to go. And I think if you look at San Antonio's, you know, their team, you know, the guys that played and kind of how they had things spread out as far as to, you know, field goal attempts and, and things that they do, they have a formula in what they do and it's to spread the action out. And you think about the Wizards and you look at their box score and then you see how heavy they are with, Brad Westbrook obviously you know will, will get his attempts up but it's it's tough without any rhythm to spread the wealth and then it's tough to spread the wealth without any real expectation of what you, you, you know you're trying to get accomplished and I totally chalk this up man to not being able to play and to practice and to you know after you after you play against Phoenix 
you have a good game against Phoenix, and that, that's a team that's – I mean, they're okay. planning on making the playoffs. I mean, they're, they're playing really, really well, and you beat those guys, and then you you think that you're going to have something to, to, to start blocking, you know, some good days on, some consistent days on, and then you, you're shut down. And, I mean, that, that's tough. That, that is tough. I wrote an article for, for Bulls Forever last week or two weeks ago at this point talking about the offense and how I just didn't like the balance overall. And I kind of got killed in the comments because, well, they're number, they're number one in points scored, so they have to be this like great cohesive offense. And, you know, I'm, I just don't think you can rely on Brad to have that heavy usage to be that efficient for an entire season and and get the best out of all those guys if you're not sort of, like you said, kind of doing a little bit closer to what the Spurs. I'm not saying Brad should only get ten shots and everyone should get ten shots, but uh, it's not sustainable to ask him to go for 45 every night to give you a chance to win. And and you know, last night he wasn't great. He still scored 30, but I wouldn't say that was a prime Bradley Beal performance. So how do you how do you help him, Larry? Like. I just, how do they fix that? I guess, like, does is that the coaching staff having to implore them? Like, how how does that change? Yeah, I think it's it's conversation. You know, I, I think it is. You know, Brad is is a really good player. I mean, he's a really good player, and, and I've always said if, if you shoot the ball enough times, you can score enough points. So it's just a matter of making sure that you you not only support your guys with your conversation and your 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 vocal leadership but you also support them in the things that you're willing to sacrifice in order to help them be better and figuring out if that formula could work to get you more wins as opposed to being blown out. Now, if, if, if you go into the game with the mindset of making sure that, I mean, you can't make sure that guys get shots, but you can understand, you know, what you're doing and how you're doing it. I mean, we know, like we, we know what we're doing out there. So it's a matter of, of if that doesn't work, then it's on me to go out and put up as many buckets as we can and get guys in foul trouble to figure out how we can win basketball games. But until we have a rhythm of practices and games and to understand who can be effective and, you know, who's going to play this role, do we have a seven, eight man rotation? You're putting Brad in a bind because you he doesn't know what to, he doesn't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. So with the skill set that he has, he can score the basketball, yeah. but I don't see, 30, 30 plus attempts being an effective way for a team that's trying to figure out where they're going to be successful. I, I haven't seen that work. Yeah, just long term. Like you said, if you need that for a night or, hey, this is plan B, we can always default to Brad, you know, just mismatch all night. Like that's always there for you. But uh, the other thing is is sort of, you know, what we've seen from Westbrook, you know, half the online chatter, there seems to be a pretty clear split between well, yeah, he's clearly hurt or yeah, maybe he's hurt, but he's also washed up. Like I, I tend to think there's probably some just natural decline there, but uh, we'd talked a little bit before a previous episode later. I don't think we recorded, but you'd mentioned your son and had a quad injury and took him a couple months. Can, can you talk a little bit about how much that injury actually limits you? I mean, it's, it's mobility. It's being explosive. And, and it also is a mental deal because you understand that you're not healthy. And when you're talking about, you know, the, the, the lower body and the, the NBA game, you know, my son's obviously at high school, but the amount of starting and stopping that basketball players do nowadays to have a quad injury that's obviously linked to the knee, that's linked to the hamstring, 
like there's a lot to to kind of unpack there as far as to what sort of explosion you have, what sort of lateral quickness you have, um, and just how much you you know you have to make your other body parts work. So that's a very a very tough injury to 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 go through. It's a very tough injury to come back from if you're trying to rush the process. If you're trying to come back too early when you know that you can't physically do everything that you need to do, though that's one of those injuries you can't work your way back into shape. Like it, it's something that's it's not going anywhere, and it's probably only, it's, it's probably going to get worse. So for me and, and working with my son, you know, with the quad injury, it was like we just we shut basketball off. Like we, we shut basketball off and we got into the p- performance space where we work everything around the quad and the knee and the ab work. I mean, you really just got to take a step back and really get your body in a position where you can go out and perform. You can't play your way through to get better uh, from a quad injury. And I, for one, definitely don't think Westbrook is is washed up. Uh, I think he's always been a guy that we wanted him to shoot the basketball better, but that didn't negate the things that he was able to do. And I, I still feel like he can do those things when healthy. If we go all the way back, he was suffering this injury in, in the bubble. I mean, during the restart. So it's not going anywhere if he won't shut it down completely and get healthy. It, it, it'll still it'll still linger for him. The, the team, uh, Brooks and, and Westbrook himself last night, or actually Westbrook gave a very elaborate quote, I'm all right. Uh, very, very detailed and insightful uh, media session with him. But uh, Brooks said, you know, he's he's healthy, but he's not 100% NBA game ready yet and and try to draw a distinction between what those two things mean. I just don't know how you watch him play after having watched him play for the last decade and, and think that's the same guy. And and what you just talked about, everything you read online, is that that's, that's very attributable to things we're seeing to that particular injury. Plus, it's something with a high risk of re-injury. If he's not going to help the team, uh, you know, playing limited, you know, from a limited capacity, why not just sit him down? Like, I don't, why, why the macho, we're going to play him through it, he's all right thing. That's, the, I know that's part of Westbrook and I know that's part of who he is, right? I mean, we see him when he's not playing, he's cheering on, he's jumping off the bench, he's coming out, he's celebrating. That doesn't mean that you're healthy, though. I mean, that means that, you're, that you can walk around, you can play with your kids. I mean, you can, you know, you can go to the, walk to the store. I mean, you can do those things. But as far as the NBA game of, of starting and stopping, that's, that is very tough. And it, it's very obvious that, you know, he's struggling in that space. We said it weeks ago, you know, when he caught the basketball full speed and, and shot a layup. I mean, we knew something was, was, was up then. So if you think of weeks back, he wasn't healthy and you're still talking about, a layoff and you you have to shut him down and completely get him healthy. And that may take the rest of this year. It's a shortened, you know, sort of season that may take the rest of this year. It may not, but I think he still has two more years on his deal. And if he's going to go through like this, you know, for the rest of those years, I mean, you, you, <laughs> you got a problem. On you. There's a problem, Houston. You got a problem with your hands. If you can't beat a guy off the dribble anymore, you're not really a threat to shoot it. You're not going to kick out of a post up. You can't really stay with guys to play, you know, a high level defense, even situational high level defense. It's just going to be really tough to to win games when when you, you know, give 40 million dollars of your salary cap to to one guy like that. And and if he's not going to get healthy, I, I don't get it. I, I do commend him because 
I'm kind of assuming that if if Neto and Ishmith had both been healthy for this game, we probably wouldn't have seen him. So, you know, maybe he thought, hey, me at 50% or whatever the percentage is, is, is going to give us a better chance for a night, you know, while we wait for those guys to come back. But I just long term, it just doesn't seem like a smart move. Yeah, yeah, not not against that. I mean, San Antonio is not the greatest in the West, but in some ways they're still a world oil machine. Mm-hmm. So if you're coming into a situation where, you know, you just want to be a Band-Aid, you, I mean, you're going to look like a Band-Aid. Mm-hmm. You're not going to come in and know you're not healthy, and then all of a sudden San Antonio is going to let you, uh, you know, get your thing off. They're, they're not going to let you get off. So, you, you know, that, that was going to be a struggle for West. With a new year comes tons of new big games in sports. With big games, you need big stakes. Kansas City Stakes has the cuts you crave to celebrate the playoffs and the big game. Visit KansasCitySteaks.com slash game day and save up to $25 on combos perfect for game day. Plus, get free shipping with code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, at checkout. Try out the new snack pack combo featuring small plates with big flavor. They have mini beef Wellington steak burger sliders, mac and cheese melts, and shrimp wrapped in bacon. Every order is flash frozen, delivered directly to your home. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Basically, every cut of steak imaginable, plus appetizers, desserts, barbecue, and so much more. Again, go to KansasCitySteaks.com slash game day and use the code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, at checkout for free shipping. Kansas City Steaks. Big games, big taste. Let's say he gets back to full health. I mean, he is still, you know, at at that age where guys start to slow down a little bit. And I'm not saying, again, I don't think that he's washed up or anything like that either, any of the the extremes we draw from one or two performances. But at some point, he will slow down a little bit. He will be less springy, all those things. I just saw a stat the other night that he's number two all-time in NBA usage rate. How do you convince a player like that that he does need to sort of like transition into a different role? Hey, we need you to be a defender, facilitator first, you know, those kinds of things, and, and less the 30-point-a-game kind of guy. Well, I think the, the rebounds will go down. You know, I think his, his fast break points, I think all those things will go down as obviously as he gets older, right? I don't think he's taking it from rebound to, to, to you know, to transition to score. Now, you know, he's allowing or should be allowing the big guys to do their job. Right. I mean, he's, he's created history, set history. Now I don't think he has to play like that. I think now he could allow his guys to rebound and he can get further up the floor and he has to think about it, just a different approach, right? He has to think about his approaches to attack and draw and to be on a good team where he can find guys that can make plays as opposed to him trying to make those plays. So it is about him and his ability, but it's also about the talent and things that are surrounding him. So it's an all, you know, it's it's an effort on on everybody's part, you know, front office, coach, you know, teammates to make guys effective, and especially guys that, that's played at his level and guys that, you know, you pay so much money is to make sure that he understands what the plan is going forward. And, you know, it's it ultimately is in his best interest to, figure out a somewhat different way to play. You can't change the way that guy plays basketball. That's what he does. That's who he is. But there's a transition uh, that we all go through as far as, uh, you know, age and, and, and father time that we all go through. 
But if you're in a good organization, you have a good coaching staff that's willing to put you in the best position and can communicate that this is the best position, not only for you, but for the team to be successful, then, you know, that's when you have those guys that are, you know, 15, 18 years uh, in the NBA and still being effective. And Carmelo and CP3 and, and obviously Braun, uh, just really understanding, you know, their game now. And it's obviously transitioned from what it was before, but those guys can still be great. And I think Russell can, can still be great at what he does. He just has to do it a little differently. You've almost seen that a little bit from Kevin Durant this year too. Like the the usage isn't quite as high with those other guys. He's he's being a good spot up shooter from you know like he's shooting a really high percentage from three. Like uh, he's defending, he's facilitating. Like it, it's not just like a here have this go get thirty. It's it's sort of more of a a little bit of everything. And I mean, yeah, man, we, we came in, we do it all, right? I mean, you did it all in high school. You basically did it all in college. So when you get to the league, like you still want to do it all. That's from defense to from the defensive end or rebounding or stealing all the way to the offensive end. Now you'll see, speaking in KD, you'll see the other team score or not score. And he's trying up the sideline, bring it up to me. You know, it takes me less dribbles to get what I need to get. I'm still ultra effective, but I'm not now grabbing a board, coming down, showing you everything in my bag and trying to score the basketball. Now it's like, nope, bring the ball to me. I get it in my spot, live dribble, go to work, you know, end of the day. That kind of usage just doesn't seem sustainable when when you start to hit your your early 30s and then mid 30s and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, unless you're unless you're six eight two seventy, <laughs> you know your last name is James, and you know your your usage rate is still pretty high. That's that's yeah, that's that's an all time uh, you know anomaly right there. I think. Okay, uh, next four games here, they have a, a reunion with John Wall on Tuesday night against the Rockets. I think that'll be interesting. Wall is struggling with some injury stuff too. The the knees have uh, kind of snuck up on him a little bit here. I think. We hadn't heard much about the knee still being an issue, and then all of a sudden it came out that he's, he's been struggling with that a little bit this year, and and you could see it. Like, he started off strong, and then over the last couple of games, he'd been a lot less consistent, things like that. Uh, what do you think the energy is going to be like for, for that kind of game, Larry? I think he'll be excited. You know, I, I think he'll be excited to play. I think, you know, his, his old teammates will be excited to, to play against him. They haven't seen him really, you know, in game form on the court. Uh, in a couple of years now. So I think it'll be exciting for everybody. Uh, and they have an, an identity somewhat. I mean, even though they, you know, they've lost, you know, James, I mean, it, their, their coaches come in and pretty much created a, an identity very, very quickly. Uh, and I see those guys playing together and I see those guys wanting to, to fight for one another. So I think it'll be fun, you know, especially to get, you know, your, your Brad and your uh, John matchup. I mean, I, I think that that'll be fun. You can't guard anybody. You can't touch anybody. So it won't be that sort of, you know, knock down, drag out battle. Uh, but it will be good to see uh, two friends, you know, get a chance to compete compete against each other uh, in a different uniform. And it's not just uh, in practice. I think there are going to be some friendships ended locally here over the Westbrook wall matchup. If, if we see that play out where they're actually guarding each other the whole time, like you would probably expect. Uh, it's just such a split between you know, camps of people and, and which one they're still advocating for and stuff like that. So I hope for everybody's sake, we, we get to actually see that play out just to 
see see how it plays out, I guess. Uh, that's a tough one. I do think that's a winnable game, though. Uh, you know, they are kind of limited with some injury stuff, too. They play the Pelicans, who have been struggling overall on Wednesday night, the Hawks Friday night, and then the Nets on Sunday night. Let's say they start to get some guys back and, and people are healthy or, you know, those sorts of things. Those are games I think they can win. Like, I mean, maybe the Nets game is a tough ask, but you just saw Cleveland beat the Nets and, um, you know, they're still trying to figure some things out. So if you got to play them, this might be the time to do it. Uh, anything you're especially looking out for in any of those matchups, Larry? No, I think it'll be a struggle against the Nets. I think it'll it'll even be a struggle against the Pelicans. I think the the challenge that they present is on obviously on the offensive end, the amount of pressure that they put on the defense. I think they're still trying to figure out how they're going to play on, on the defensive end themselves, but they have so many guys that put pressure on the defense and the Wizards have struggled uh, on, on the defensive end. So look to, for them to, to get some stops and obviously take advantage of, of a team that's not, you know, really great on defense with, within the Pelicans. And I give them a chance against the Pelicans, but the Nets, I don't think so. It's, 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 I don't think so the Wizards talent. play. Yeah, I don't think we play. You know, sound defense to to stop what that team is is trying to do. Cleveland played really good defense mm-hmm. uh, those two games, and then I, I see you know with Houston, that's a winnable game. You know, I think that that's a winnable game. You get a chance to get back on the court against San Antonio and, and start to create that game rhythm, and then obviously getting a chance to put up your guys against uh, a former teammate. I think there will be some extra motivation there. Uh, not only for the team, but also for the coaching staff as well, uh, because they want to get get a win against their former guy. Also, right now the Wizards are three and nine. That's fourteenth in the Eastern Conference. The only team below them is Detroit at three and thirteen. Above them at thirteenth are the Miami Heat, which I was surprising to me to see. I didn't realize they'd been kind of struggling the way they have, but they're six and nine. That's still a pretty big jump above the Wizards. Uh, let's say this road trip goes poorly for them and, and they don't, I don't know, they go one and three or something like that. Larry, at what point do you say like, all right, it's, it's white flag time. Like this isn't going to work. Like there's been so much chatter about at what point does this team decide that they need to blow it up and get some return for Beal? Like, I don't know. Is it still too early for that? Uh, what, what do you, what do you think about? In a normal year, if the struggles are like this, I would say, yes, you have to really think about, you know, what the plan is. Mm-hmm. But in a year of, of the pandemic and the starts and the stops and the protocols that those guys have to not to almost not be a team to do things, yeah. in, you know, in a separate manner and to not really do things a, a, as a group and to build you know, for the next phase, I'd have a hard time having that conversation with everything that's in play right now, because there's so many excuses and the excuses are valid. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would have a hard time having any sort of blow up discussion, but I would also check the temperature of my best player. um, And some of the guys that my young guys that I feel like need to grow into who we need them to be and check their temperature to see where their, where their mind is at. Are they in this thing for the long hauler? Or are they in this to figure out where the wrongs are? And if they are, then you got to give these guys another another season to you know work the magic. But this year is very tough. And like I said, I would have a hard time making any sort of move that 
changes what our thought process was a, a year and a half ago of where we're trying to grow to, I would have a hard time having that conversation. Yeah, I personally think, you know, getting to that point in January is a, is a little crazy, but come trade deadline in March, you've had all these guys on the floor together and it just doesn't look good and guys are unhappy and yeah, you know, you hear Beal's already, you know, there's some chatter there or Westbrook and Beal suddenly don't like each other anymore or Hatchamore is pissed that he doesn't get more. Like if things go real South, I, I think then, then you have serious convos about that. But, but for right now, let's let them get on the court. Let's let some guys get healthy. Let's see how the next month goes. And it just doesn't seem like something you have to rush to me. I can't imagine that whatever you get from, Beal at the trade deadline would be drastically different than what you could get for him in the off season. Uh, that's just, you know, he'd still be on contract for another full season. So I don't know that that massively changes the offer from somebody. Uh, okay, Larry, let's, um, I have two little quick anecdotes for you real quick. And then want to get to a couple quick fan questions. I just read a book called LeBron Inc by Brian Windhorse. And there's a passage in there. LeBron had hurt an ankle and, and I guess one of your playoff games and Windhorse apparently came up to you and said, Larry, you worried that this uh, this ankle issue will keep LeBron out? And Hughes said, "No. Have you seen his ankles? They're huge. He'll be fine." Do you remember this exchange? Uh, uh, k- kind of, I do. I do. I, I I remember Bron hurting his ankle, and I I made that comment a, a few times. Is the good thing about Bron is he stays healthy because he never hits the floor, and it's like his he's a little superhuman because you can tell that like like his bones and ligaments and like this stuff is stronger than like the normal person for whatever reason, like this guy's he's, he's different, but yeah, I mean, 270, when I was in Cleveland, he was, if not the heaviest on the team at the time, I mean, we had big Z. I think he weighed more than big Z and he was like the fastest guy on our team, the most athletic guy on our team. So yeah, this guy sprains an ankle, man. It, it, he He's okay. What's it, what's it like when a guy like that hits you, even accidentally, you know, or bumps off you? I, I got to imagine you're taking the brunt of that. You, you take it. And, and and what it is is obviously when I, I played against him in Washington and played against him once I left Cleveland, uh, he's always my matchup, always the person that I had to go guard. But it's like a pause. It's like or freeze. It's like you hit him and he can continue to go on, but it's like you're frozen for like a half a second. Right. I mean, so that gives him his advantage to go wherever he wants to go. But, yeah, once once he once he makes contact, you basically as a defense, you basically freeze because it's so much force. And you basically got to guard yourself from from going the other direction that that gives him a a little bit of extra time to to make his make his play. That's crazy. Uh, speaking of one of the, the all-time greats here, uh, ESPN's Rachel Nichols has been dialing into some of the Wizards' availability. She wanted to comment or get Beal and Westbrook's comments on a thing they're putting together for Kobe and get people's reactions. And so she asked what were Beal's memories of guarding or playing against Kobe Bryant. And he said he just uh, he remembered that Kobe demanded the ball and shot almost every time, how amazing his footwork was, and that he actually made hissing sounds out on the court. Can you talk a little bit about any of the three of those things? No, I, I've never heard the hissing. I've, I've heard about it, but I've never heard that while I was actually on the court. But as far as shooting any shot that Kobe wants to take, like he, that's why he was one of the t- toughest guys to guard. I always say Kobe and T-Mac in and, and my playing days were like two of the toughest guys to guard. 
uh, Kobe because he would he, he could take any shot he wanted, uh, even though they were running the triangle. You know, he had this little hand signal or Phil had this little hand signal where it was like just Kobe's play. So he had, you know, free reign to, to shoot any shot he wanted to take. And then, again, he said, talk about his footwork. That's one of the things that I watched and just kind of understood about Kobe is, is how well his footwork was. And that was something that I always thought that if I spent more time on my feet, you know, in footwork and, you know, agility drills and things like that, that I could have actually been a better player as well because I just saw how the ability to move your feet and to take the proper step and how all of that stuff, you know, really works in your favor as a, as a basketball player, especially as a guard, but didn't really pay a lot of attention to that until, you know, I started, started watching Kobe. When I was in Philadelphia, I got traded to Golden State. So we would always see the Lakers in preseason and obviously in the regular season. So I began to watch, you know, from that point on his footwork and his ability to play basketball. It's got to be even harder to guard because so few guys do that. So it's just, all right, what, what move is he breaking out now? You know, what, what what's that footwork going to lead to? Those sorts of things. Well, it, it's also, Matt, it's also the footwork, but then it's the ability to shoot with either hand. Yeah. So if you have great footwork, there's still, you know, you're still going to lean to one side because that's, you know, you're going to shoot the ball, you know, right hand or left hand. Mm-hmm. But a, a guy that has really good footwork and the ability to shoot the ball with either hand, I mean, Mamba, man. I mean, that's that's what made Kobe, you know, as tough as as he was, and um, you know, and that's why a lot of guys follow. Him. Or spin over and shoot over either shoulder. I mean, that that that's just so many more options for guys. Uh, all right, a couple quick questions for you um, from four thousand yay on Twitter, uh, Larry. Why the number twenty? Um, what what did that mean to you? What was the significance there? Uh, the number twenty, I guess, it started in high school. It started in high school. The starting point guard, the, the the flashy guy, you know, the big man on campus, a uh, guy named by the name of Charles Doss, he was number 23. And like I said, I that's what I watched growing up, you know, playing basketball growing up. That's why I started playing basketball pretty much. Uh, but he had number 23. And in high school, it was at home, you know, at home, you're one number and on the road, you're another number. So at home, he was 22. On the road, he was 23. And so I couldn't get that number in you know, my, my uh, freshman year. So I decided that I'd take 20 and 21. So it was just really as simple as that, is that I couldn't get 23 because the, the big man on campus had it. And, you know, the next drop down was, was, was 20 and 21. And then it just stuck for the most part, right? I mean, and it just I stuck you were 21 me. and then 32 at some point. But. Yeah, it stuck with me. Um, uh, 20 and 21 stuck with me. I had to wear 20 and I had to wear 21 in Philadelphia because Eric Snow Mm -hmm. wouldn't give me number 20 after he promised that he would give me number 20. So my rookie year, I had to I had to wear number 21. And then I went out to Golden State and I wore 20 Uh, in Cleveland. I wore 32 just because that was like a number that I just I, I think I did a poll. I did a poll of which number I should pick during that time, and it was 32. So uh, I, I went with, you know, good old Magic. I like it. From And this is a little tough right now, given everybody's uh, kind of flex or, or you know, fluctuations in, in the rotation here. But if you had to come up with, like, an eight-man rotation for the Wizards based on what you've seen so far, who are the guys that, that you think, based on who's left, should, should be in that um, when, when all things are equal? Oh, man. That is a tough one. 
That is a tough one. You you have uh, you have Brad, you have Westbrook, yep. you have Hachi, you have Denny. I would say you have Lopez and you have Lynn. That's six. Yep. And then I would say there's Troy Brown and man. You got Bertons, Neto, Robinson, Bonga. I mean, there's yeah. I'm gonna have to put Bertons in there as that as that that shooting you know, that, that shooting piece. That's that's much needed whether you start or come off the bench. So that 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 would be my eight. That would be my eight, and I would go back between Bonga and and Troy Brown um, to understand what what they're doing on the defensive end and what they're bringing to the to the offensive end, and then I would make a decision there. So those would be the guys that I kind of flip-flop a little bit uh and then my next guy up would be would be Neto I mean he, he's you know he's, he's played solid and you have to figure out if he's he can continue that through an entire season uh with the matchups that he'll get but that would be my my eight with with those possibles of injury or you know not playing well yeah I think that that first six is and then maybe plus Berton's the seven guys there is like probably everybody's seven and then you know, the matchup dependent or, or who's, who's hot, you know, probably, probably decides the rest of that. Uh, that was from Isaiah. Um, from Sam, any other good Steve Blake stories? We talked one a couple weeks ago about uh, him and Gilbert getting into a little scrap and stuff like that. And, and you talked about his dad following him on the road everywhere, but, but anything else that, that comes to mind? Um, man, that he used to go down to the club with me. Steve, 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 Steve used to be like one he like one of the only white guys in the club with me, but but they knew what time it was. Uh, so yeah, that, I mean that's always a good time out with with my man Steve. Is that on more than one occasion, on more than a few occasions, Steve was actually in the club with me. I like it. It's good for team bonding. <laughs> uh, from Rick, uh, he just wanted you to talk a little bit about sort of the principle of no shots beyond fifteen feet with more than fifteen seconds on the shot clock. And I, I guess realistically, does that still apply in the modern NBA and, and things like that? No, I, I don't think it necessarily applies. I don't, I don't necessarily think it applies. I think uh, with the with the three ball and and the you know the number of, of attempts that guys get up. I mean, we had you know two guys last night go three for ten. I mean, so that's you know that's twenty threes and that's six makes. So I think that that's the nature of the NBA. I would like to see more shots in the fifteen foot range, no matter what time on the clock it is. I think if you're running in transition, I mean, if you're taking a shot from 15 versus 26, it's an easier chance to get an offensive rebound uh, versus shooting the three-pointer. So I'd like to see more shots, no matter what time it is on the clock of, of the 15-foot foot shot go up myself. Yeah, I'd just rather see more good shots. You know, uh, like if you're open from 25, take it. If you're open from 15, take it. Uh, I just I, What I don't love is the uh, – you know, the 27 foot contested jumper with, with nobody in a position to, to do anything in response to it. So I'm definitely with you there. Well, uh, well you know, I, I work, you know, I work with kids, right. And, you know, I, I've coached and, and had a you know, few times on the sideline and my talk is to those guys, man, get up as many quality shots yeah. as you can get up. Obviously we don't play with the shot clock or anything like that, but if you're open, shoot the basketball. And wherever that's 15, where that's 25, the name, I mean, get up as many quality shots as you can and have everybody else hold you accountable for that. You can tell me all you want about numbers, analytics, and all these things about how you only want shots at the rim, you only want shots from three, but 
those are good percentages when those things are good shots, I think, you know, and not everything's a good shot. So, uh, all right, folks, like we said, uh, that Houston Washington game will be 8 PM Eastern time on Tuesday. So, uh, definitely dial in for that one. It sounds like we'll have some more good stuff to talk about. Let us know if you have any questions, things like that you want us to talk about. It's always good to get a little different perspective on the show here. And uh, we will catch you all next Monday. ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done